Thank you, Pastor. It was February 17th of 2008, if you remember, when we came down here to reorganize the church. Uh, so, what, four and a half years ago or so. Uh, Sunday, we had 17 people in attendance, and uh, things are going well. You obviously have many more people on your block than we do in our county, um, but uh, that's okay. God's doing great things. It's really a privilege to be here, and uh, me and my family and our church are really ever indebted, indebted to this church and to you, and we very much appreciate what um, Open Door, uh, what the Montoros, and what you have done for us, And uh, but pastor told me I don't have a lot of time. I'll tell you, what I'm going to preach to you tonight took me five hours to preach to our church. Uh, it was five different sermons, and I'm going to try to condense it and give it to you a little bit quicker, um, but we'll see what happens. Take your Bible to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. Verse number 16 is where we'll start. It says, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He saith unto him, Which? Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, uh, thou shalt not bear false witness. Verse 19, Honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were exceeding amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? Verse 26. But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you that ye which have followed me in the uh, regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye shall uh, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel, and every one that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive an hundredfold, and shall inherit everlasting life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today uh, for each one that you brought for this special meeting of open door, and Lord, I pray that you would um, remove distractions, that you would uh, fill us with your spirit to touch our hearts with your word today. For your glory, we pray in Christ's name, amen. I, I start by asking the question, what does it mean to be a Christian? 
this portion of Scripture kind of jumped out at me as I read it here. And this rich young ruler asks Jesus what he must do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus says to him, keep the commandments. It seems to be somewhat contradictory to what we often would think and would say to someone. But Jesus said to him, keep the commandments. And what's happening in our day and age is we have this mentality. It's hard for me to preach behind this thing. Um, We have this mentality that there's really nothing that a person needs to do to be a Christian. And there's been a change in the church. I'm not exactly sure why, but there's been a change in the church where we have people that come because they make a profession of faith, but they think that's the finish line when the real actuality is it's the beginning. That, that's where our service for the Lord starts. And if we think about this by itself, Jesus talking to this man had said, keep the commandments. And the man looked at him and said, I've done that. What else do I need to do? Now, we understand something. Jesus saw the heart. And he recognized something that was going on here, and that was that the heart of this man was attached to the things that he had instead of the Lord that he was talking to. You say, how do I know that? Because when Jesus said, sell everything you have and give it away, he walked away, and I'll insert this there, if you might say, he wasn't willing to do that. It meant more to him to keep those things than it was to get rid of them and follow Jesus Christ. So I look at this like this, and there was something forsaken in people's lives. I want to give you a few things, and I can't go to all the verses because Brother Clayton won't have time to preach. And I'm sure he's got more to say than I do. Um, but I think about this. When, when Jesus went to Peter... He called out to Peter and said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. What happens with us in the church today is we make a profession of faith and then we sit back and say, well, God's got a work to do. God didn't call out to Peter and say, follow me and I'll show you what I'm going to do. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Here's the thing. God has always used people. He's never chosen to do a work without using people. We look at it and say, well, God can do anything He wants. That's exactly correct. But God, for for some reason, has decided He wants to use people and He does nothing without people. So He called Peter and said, follow me. And Peter did what? It says that Peter straightway I'm in, this would be in Matthew chapter 4, but I didn't turn there. But, but, but Peter straightway left and followed Christ. Immediately is what that means. As soon as Christ had called him and said, follow me, he just, his father's there. That's his profession. That's what he does to make a living. And he got up and walked away and followed Christ. That's what he did. He, what we do today is we take Christ and we add him to our life Nothing in it changes, and we think we're okay. That's not the principle that took place in the Word of God. Peter walked away from everything. All of his dreams. He's thinking about this. You know, I got my career all laid out. 
When I get to retirement age, if I keep working like this, I can have so much money put in the bank. He didn't know Obama was going to be president. Um, You know, those kind of things and destroy your your finances. Um, But we, we do that. But Peter walked away from it all. It doesn't matter. I'm just following the Lord. He forsook something. My, my first point here is, what have you forsaken to be a Christian? Most of us, if the real reality, and it's not for me to look at somebody else, but rather for us to examine ourselves and say, what have I forsaken in my life? It costs us something truly to be a Christian, to be a follower of Christ. It cost Peter, you know, everything that he had planned. I think about it this way. When I trusted the Lord, you know, I I wasn't exactly sure what I was going to do, but I had plans of things that I was going to do. They all just disappeared. Poof. Gone. Didn't matter. Because God had called me and wanted me to do something for Him. We could go on. James and John, in the the same text, in Matthew chapter 4, He called them and it says they immediately left and followed Christ. They just immediately got up and went and followed Him. And He said, I will make you something. You know what? God wants to use people today. The problem is people don't want to be used by God today. This blows my mind. You know, if if somebody that we look up to were to come to us and say, I want you to do... I was, you know, I used to use the President of the United States for this illustration, but I won't use this one. Okay? But, but if, you know, and sometimes past, the President of the United States would come up to you and ask you to do him a favor, you'd be honored to do something for him. You're working for him, but you'd be honored to do something. And here it is, we have the King of Kings and Lord of Glory that says, I want you to do something for me, and we refuse. We sit back and say, God, just do something. It doesn't work that way. It never has. What have we forsaken in this life to to be His disciple? Jesus had said that in the end of this text that I just read, verse 29, and everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake. What does this mean? You know, I tell you, this is why I say to our church, we bound through Scripture, picking out the points that we want to when we leave the rest of it. But Jesus said, everyone that hath forsaken houses. What is he talking about? You know, the real reality today is we hang on to our possessions. We hang on to the things that we own and we're not willing to forsake them to follow the Lord. You know, the greatest tool of the devil in our society today that I believe is financial debt. You say, what do I mean? Debt is bondage. Why can't you give your time to God? Because you have to work two jobs to pay your debt. That's really the reality of where we are. Debt is bondage. And it's a great tool of the devil in our day. What about forsaking brothers or sisters? What does that mean? You know what it means? It means that they're not more important to me than God is. It means 
that when my family says they're having a family reunion and it happens to be on Sunday, tell you what, I'm not there. You know, the hard thing is the people that are the closest to us are the ones that challenge us the most. I'm going to give you a totally true story. Okay, just happened to me about two weeks ago. My oldest brother called me. I'm the youngest of four. My oldest brother called me and his one daughter, who's not married but has two kids, is living with a guy that's not the father of either one of the kids, has decided that she just wanted to do the right thing and get married. My brother called me up and said, Will you? What do I do? You know what I did? I said, I can't do that. It's not that I don't love my brother. And it's not that I don't love my niece. But I can't go against what God says. You know, it's, it's those times when things are hard that we have to be honest with God. What about forsaking father or mother? You know, it's amazing. My, my mom and dad are Jehovah Witnesses. They tell me how dumb I am all the time. Seriously, that's my dad's exact words. And I'll tell you, when I grew up, I was my dad's baby, youngest of four boys. I was stuck to my dad with super glue. But today, he doesn't agree with what God says. I love him today, but I have to forsake what he says because it's not what this says. It's when things get real like that, that that we have to really decide, do I love God? Am I willing to forsake things in this life to be a disciple of Christ? Or not? It even goes on and it says, mother, wife, children, lands, for my sake. Are we willing to forsake those things? That was my first sermon. It took me an hour to preach that in our church. Um, I expanded it a little bit. The next one is, what is my excuse to not forsake things? What is my excuse? What is it that keeps me from really just giving myself to God that He can use me as He sees fit? Because that's really what Peter did when he walked away from his father and his nets and he followed Christ. He just, well, I'm just yours. Do with me whatever you want. I know it goes through some of your minds right now. You're saying, yeah, but Peter went back. Yeah, but for what? A couple of days max. A couple of days max. And then he was back serving God. And I'll tell you what, I don't know where I'd have been if I'd watched him take Christ and nail him on the cross. Watched my master be taken away when I thought he was invincible which we really know he is, but we did, he didn't understand what was going on. What's my excuse? Turn over to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14 and verse number 16. It says, Then said he unto, unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many. And sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. 
The first said unto him, I've bought a piece of ground and I must needs go and see it. I pray, have me excused. Another said, I have five yoke of oxen and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. What's our excuse? What is it? You know what? Every one of these things we read about here was something in this world. You know, here's the reality. We spend our entire life trying to gain something that is probably going to end up being somebody else's anyway because our kids are going to fight over it and it's going to get sold. We spend our entire life working for something that doesn't matter. I try to do this myself sometimes. I tell our church this. I'm preaching to me. You're just here to listen. Okay? That's what I'm doing. I'm preaching to me. Uh, I just let you listen. Have you ever really sat down with a pencil and a piece of paper? You got to be honest with yourself here. And took your time and said, where do I spend my time? And how much of my time is spent serving God and God doing something with me? And how much of my time is me spent taking care of myself? Which, by the way, if you really want to be technical, is not your job, it's God's. Because the Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Brother Clayton's never lacked for food. Look at him. Okay? But you know what? He just left and decided, I'm going to just do what God wants me to do and travel all over the place. He's not starved to death. I don't know everything about him. I know enough to love him. And admire what they've done with their lives. But we spend the majority of our life trying to get what God is God's job to give to us. And we don't allow God to flow through us because we're too busy doing something that's supposed to be God's job. What's the excuse that I have? To not really give myself to God. What, what is it? Is it? Is it, you know, I got a piece of land. I have so many things. You know, everybody's so busy today. It, it, it's amazing. People look at me and say, Sunday is the only day I have. That's interesting. Because everything that people want to do is planned on Sunday. How do you have any time on Sunday to do anything anyway? You know, our family, they plan the, the barbecues on Sunday. They plan all of those things on Sunday. And they look at you when you invite them to church. And You know, Sunday is the only day I have that for myself. What? It's an excuse. Well, it's... I, I've married a wife. She's going to keep me away from church. i got to, you know, do these things with my wife. I tell you what, you better be careful who you marry today. We have a generation of young people that are entering into a marital relationship that have no idea what the Word of God says about it. And they're off into all kinds of crazy stuff. What is my excuse? What is it that keeps me from forsaking things in this life so that I can serve God? Who or what is my God? These kind of go together a little bit, but it's the third point. And I don't have an, I left the poem out so I could have four points, okay? Who or what is my God? 
We read the story of the rich young ruler. And he went away grieved. And it says in the Bible, because he had great possessions. When we think, you ever, you ever have a picture in your mind of what heaven is? I have people different times ask me about heaven. And I have to be honest with you. I don't know an awful lot about heaven. I can tell you more about what you're not going to be having or doing in heaven than I can about what we are going to be doing in heaven. You know, there's a guy in our church that can't see out of one of his eyes. He's going to see out of both eyes in heaven. Okay? There's, you know, there's some older people that have aches and pains and things from just age and life, and they're not going to have them when we get to heaven. I can explain heaven that way. And we all have a picture of what heaven is. And I'll tell you what, the greatest things we can gain on this earth don't even begin to compare what you got in your head. But that's what we hang on to. Well, I had great possessions, so he went away grieved and was not willing to give himself to God. You know what that said? Those possessions were his God. You know where we are today? People are their own God. That's where our society is today. People are their own God. You talk to people, there's no absolute truth. What I want is right. What I think is right. What I say is right. What you say is okay for you. But what I say is right for me. I'm my own God. And we've got to get back to the place in our churches. And I know it happens here because I've spent some time with your pastor. But where we proclaim, thus saith the Lord, there is an absolute truth and an absolute authority. And right there it is. It's not what I think. It's not what feels good to me. It's not what I want. It's what God said. God has never been wrong. He will never be wrong. But we have an excuse. We have something else as our God. And then fourthly, what is my treasure in? Matthew chapter 6. What is my treasure in? Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. It says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. I, 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 saw, I read somewhere in one of the newspapers or something that the average American today's wealth is worth 40% less than what it was before Obama became president. Seriously. Your home is worth 40% less than what it was before Obama became president. Now, we shake our heads and blame Obama. The reality is everything that we invest in in this life can be gone just like that. Up where we live several years ago, I bought a house from a very good friend of mine. I bought an inexpensive house, needed a lot of work, gave him $28,000 for the house. He took that $28,000 and he invested it in the stock market. He was a 70-year-old man at the time. He invested that $28,000 in the stock market. If you really want my opinion, I'll tell you what stock market is. It's just glorified gambling. I talked to that man when the stock market did its thing that it did here a few years back. He had $2,000 left. You know what? The things that we invest in are just so so fluid and so messed up today that it could be gone like that. But you know what? When we invest in eternity, when we give our life to God to use as He would see fit, 
and to do with as He wants. Nobody can take it away. It never loses value. It never is minimized. We don't find ourselves stressed over it because why was I such, this is what He said to me, why was I such a fool to put the whole thing in the stock market? Now I have two, out of $28,000, I have two. You know what? When we take the gospel to people, nobody minimizes 28 to 2. doesn't work that way. But yet we find ourselves so often more concerned about the things in this life. Where is our treasure? Here's another thing for you to take a pencil and a piece of paper on. And I don't preach on tithing. I don't preach on giving very often. This is preaching on the heart. But you know what? The Bible says that if God's got our heart, then He'll have the rest of us. That means our treasure will be in God and in His church. You know, think about this. Here's something else that boggles my mind. We live in a day and age where people have no idea. You ask the average Christian in a church why you're a member of your church, and they'll look at you like a deer in the headlights and not know why. Does it really matter if you're a member of a church? There's some of them messed up things. They're not even churches up there around us, and I know they're all over here too. There's some of them messed up things up there. They call themselves churches, but they're not. They don't even encourage people to become members. It doesn't matter. Just come. That's all it is. You know what? Christ came and established and died for His church. And if our treasure is in Christ, it ought to be in His church. And I told the people in our church, you need to sit down with that pencil and piece of paper again, be completely honest with yourself, and start writing down where all your finances go and find out if God's got your heart or not. Because that'll be the proof. It's interesting where our society is. You know, you do your taxes. I use TurboTax to do my taxes. They're real simple. It's just all zeros. No, not quite. Um, I use TurboTax to do my taxes, very honestly. And when I get all done, there's a little button on there that says it's going to do an audit check. And it pops up and says there's a red flag for an audit on my, in, on my income tax. You want to know why? Because I give too much to the church. I give more than 10% of my income to the church. And there's a flag that says you could get an audit for that. That's unbelievable. So what is the average Christian doing today? You know what that says? The average Christian's not even tithing. Does God have our heart? What have I forsaken to be Christ's disciple? Am I using something as an excuse not to forsake things in this life? Do I allow my... You know, I used to... You know, Jehovah Witnesses don't do Christmas. They will not buy anything for Christmas for anybody. I don't care that my parents don't buy me or my kids anything for Christmas. I couldn't care less. It messes with my kids a little bit. But for a while, I would buy something and give it to my mom and dad. Because... Hey, I love Christmas. And not just because it's buying gifts and stuff, but it's because of Christ and all those things. We all know what Christmas means. I love Christmas. So I'd buy things, give it to my mom and dad. Well, finally, at some point, dad kept telling me, he'd look at me and say, you know, we don't do Christmas. So I finally said, okay, we're going to listen to what you said. We're going to honor your request and we're not going to give you anything for Christmas. And then he'd come back and complain that we don't buy him nothing for Christmas.
But we, I used to allow my mom and dad, because they're my mom and dad, to control some of what I did, and I wouldn't serve God in the areas that I ought to. You know, I just looked at it this way. The right thing for me to do is, the Bible says, honor your father and mother. Okay, I won't buy them gifts if they tell me they don't do Christmas. Wouldn't that be right? I think about people in our church that say, well, you know, my family's having a, a get-together. Should I go? They come to me and say, should I go? You've got to love that as a pastor. People come to you. You know what they're doing. But they come and say, should I go? Well, what day is it? It's Sunday. What time is it? Oh, it's at 12 o'clock. Where is it? Two hours away. That means you won't be in church. No, you shouldn't go. Well, you're just crazy. We don't live in a day like that. The Word of God is still the Word of God. It doesn't change. Are we willing to forsake our family? Our, our, our fam- I have people say to me, well, you know, you'll never win them to the Lord if you do that. I'll tell you what, I've had one of my own brothers come to me and ask me question upon question upon question about the Word of God. He's my brother. I love him to death. And I won't get into the specifics of what they were, but they were hard things. And I sat down with him. I cried with him all night long. I took the Word of God. I opened it up. I said, this is what the Bible says. If you do what you want to, you're looking for trouble because this is what the Word of God says. And he walked away from my table in my house mad at me, called me a couple months later and, and, and crying on the phone, said, I love you and I respect you because you stood on the Word of God and wouldn't change it even for me. You know what? We're going to win them by standing on the Word of God, not by waffling to to make them our God instead of Him our God. Pastor.